Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Well, as I'm speaking to you today, at long last, it's Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But isn't it interesting that according to the Gospels, before there are any appearances of the risen Christ at all, the story of Easter begins very early in the morning, while it's still dark, with the discovery of an empty tomb. And what's so special about an empty tomb? That's the question we're addressing in this message for Easter Sunday, which is based on the resurrection story as told by John, chapter 20, the verses numbered 1 through 18. But can I confess something to you this morning? It's that, that though most every Easter Sunday for the past 40 years or so, I've stood up at one pulpit or another to preach this gospel that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, I will inevitably do so, and here's the confession, feeling totally, totally inadequate to the task. And not out of any sense of insecurity or reluctance to preach. You folks know me way better than that. But rather, it's out of a concern that any words I might have to say about the resurrection could not possibly live up to the true glory of it. To quote uh, Richard Lisher, the professor of theology at Duke Divinity School, our words about resurrection require a thicker environment. One of, he says, bread and wine, a few trumpets, murmurs of greeting and shouting with joy, dazzling colors, and most of all, in the three-dimensional bodies of real people, including little boys in bow ties and women with fruit and flowers on their hats. You don't sit at a computer, Lisher concludes, and tap out the words, Jesus is risen. You perform it. The church enacts it. It embraces it. Well, honestly, friends, when it comes to this incredible good news that we come here to proclaim today, that Christ our Lord is risen today, it just feels to me like something far beyond my ability to express in all of its fullness. I'm reminded here of the story of the Sunday school teacher who had just finished telling her third graders the story of Easter, telling, beginning with how Jesus was crucified and, and then placed in the tomb with that great stone sealing the opening. And then wanting to build up excitement and the utter surprise of the resurrection for those kids, the teacher asked them, and what do you think were Jesus' first words when he came bursting out of the tomb alive? And immediately a hand shot up in the air. And fairly well leaping out of her chair, there was this little girl and she shouted out, I know, I know. He said, ta-da! <laughs> That's what I need, you see, on this Easter Sunday morning. I need the proper ta-da! The fact is, it seems to me, friends, that, that Easter demands from all of us, 
far more than business as usual, far more than worship as usual. Because today, we know once and for all that in Jesus Christ, God has overcome the power of sin and death. That he has freed us to live with hope and he has promised us life. And not just life after death, says Greg Carey, but full life. Divinely inspired life. Life in the here and the now. This is a day that calls for unbridled joy. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that requires from us nothing less than the festive proclamation of good news, the unending shouts of alleluia, louder and louder as we go. And yet, all that having been said, isn't it interesting that in our gospel text for this morning, there's actually very little of that. In fact, in the first few verses of John's account of the Easter story that Kay just shared with us, all we really get, at least in the first half, is how early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene goes to the gravesite where they had left Jesus and discovers that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And that is then followed by Peter and John literally racing to the tomb to see for themselves and recognizing that, save for some grave clothes, the tomb was, in fact, empty. But then leaving the tomb to go back home, they leave Mary there all alone. They leave her there crying her eyes out. Now, as John begins his version of the Easter story, there's no earthquakes like in Matthew. There's no angels in dazzling clothes like in Luke. There's no one to tell them right then that Jesus was not there but had been raised. Jesus himself isn't right there to greet them. There are no tadas here, none to speak of anyway, just the early morning darkness and an empty tomb. And really, we've got to ask the question we've been asking all through this season of Lent about a number of things in our faith. Really, what's so special about an empty tomb? Alan Brem, a pastor and teacher out of Texas, also a professor, says that when it comes to Easter, many of us do end up running into a wall. Most people, he writes, can't accept that Jesus was born. They know all about the manger and the animals in the stable. They, they know all of that. And they know about his teachings. And they know that Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. They even understand, on some level or another, that Jesus gave his life for us so that we can find new life. But when it comes to Easter, he says, when it comes to Easter, it's a different matter altogether. Even so many who identify themselves as Christians and have so all their lives have a hard time 
embracing faith in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And one of the reasons for that is that to embrace faith in the resurrection means that you have to accept the fact that Jesus was dead. Really dead. So dead that they buried him. And yet somehow he was raised to life. So the discovery of an empty tomb in and of itself doesn't really prove anything, does it? I mean, even Mary, even Mary Magdalene, when she goes back to Peter and John, what's the first thing she says to them? She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and and we do not know where they have laid him. There is no indication at this point that Mary, nor the other disciples for that matter, had any expectation of anything other than that. Anything, they didn't think that anything amazing or miraculous would be happening. Because you know what? That would have been impossible. There was just no way that Jesus could have risen from the dead. And there was no way at all that that could be proven by an empty tomb. You know, there's a verse of the hymn that we sing on Holy Week. We sang it here on Thursday night that does not appear in our hymnal. And it is not traditionally part of the tenebrae service that we have here and the church does throughout the world. It's the verse that goes, were you there when they raised him from the tomb? And that's very interesting. We hear the verse, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? And, and those are the questions as we talked about all this uh, of the week is that, yes, in many ways we were there. But were you there when they raised him from the tomb? The answer is no. We weren't. No one was. The resurrection is the central core belief of our Christian faith. And yet we literally have no idea how it happened. None of the Gospels even begin to speculate on what, on what went unwitnessed on that first Easter morning. Or about how and when it all took place. And quite frankly, there's no historical or empirical evidence that exists to disprove it. I actually love what Barbara Brown Taylor has said about this. And it's really something to think about. It appears as though, quote, the resurrection is the one and only event in Jesus' life that was entirely between him and God. All we know in faith is that it happened. And as a result of it happening early on that Easter morning, There was an empty tomb. And that, beloved, as I just mentioned, is where faith comes in. So much of how we live, you know, and and what we believe comes down to the realm of our own experience. Comes down to, to what we can see or touch for ourselves. What we can discern by whatever it is we think we can prove or 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 disprove. You know, we're all in that sense from Missouri, you know? Show me. Show me and I will believe. Of course, there are limits to that. 
The other day I shared with our Bible study group the story of a seminary classmate of mine who in his earlier life, because a lot of people at Bangor Seminary had come to answer the call of the ministry after having done other things in the world. And this particular classmate had worked, if memory served, as a physicist. And he was, without question, a brilliant mathematician. And at some point, the assignment for all of us was to share with the class our journeys of faith. And my classmate did so by, in fact, reciting a long and complicated mathematical theorem, one that made absolutely no sense to any of the rest of us in the room. I mean, you've got to understand, the rest of us were all telling stories of Sunday school classes when we were children. We were telling stories about getting to know God in nature and how we were beginning to feel this, this call on our lives to ministry. But here's this guy, and he's over there sharing how he's going to prove the value of X and Y. But this is how he saw the world, you see. This was the logic by which he could understand God. And, well, I didn't share this with the group the other day, but afterwards... Our professor in that course, who was very kind and wise indeed, listened to everything he had to say, and then he asked my classmate what all of that proved, proved to him. And to this, he simply smiled. He shrugged his shoulder and said, I don't know. You see, there are limits to what you and I can know based on what we can see, based on what we can feel, based on what we can calculate. But, to quote Alan Brem again, the good news of Easter is that God does not operate within the limits of what we can see. Easter faith in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead points in hope to the possibility, the very real possibility, that God really is at work in making all things new. And Easter faith moves us into the sphere of the impossible, where only the great passions of faith and love and hope will see us through, so that we can trust God wholly and fully with all that we are, and we can entrust ourselves and our actual everyday life to something we cannot see. See, what is so very special about the empty tomb is that it reminds us that even in the midst of our deepest grief, even when we have felt for a long time like all hope is lost, that we will never find it again, even when we find ourselves weeping uncontrollably because of the onslaught of all the worst that life has to offer, with the empty tomb comes the assurance that death is not the end of the story, but rather in ways that we can never completely comprehend. Life prevails. Life, life real and life abundant and life eternal will prevail. It has prevailed. And we know that because God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's because of this and even though we weren't there when God raised him from the tomb, we can put our faith in Jesus. And no matter what else goes on around us, 
we can truly embrace the love and the hope and the joy that is at the heart of all things and that we can hold on to the life that truly is life now and for all eternity. Well, I I guess I should also confess here that I might have misspoken when I said earlier that there weren't any ta-da moments to be found in our text today. Because, as we read on in the story, it turns out that Mary has one of the greatest ta-da moments in all of Holy Scripture, really, in all of human history. And, of course, it doesn't happen right away, does it? At first, Mary is far too enveloped by her own grief to even consider what that empty tomb might actually mean. Neither two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying when, when Mary finally put, sticks her head inside the tomb to see what or wasn't there. Not even Jesus himself at first, because Mary is assuming he's the gardener. Not even Jesus himself could break through her sorrow. I mean, she's still trying to figure out who might have removed Jesus' body. But again, isn't it interesting, isn't it glorious that then Jesus calls her by name? All he says is, Mary, Mary. And Mary turns around and, ta-da! Everything changes forever. Immediately, She knows. When someone we love calls our name, we know who it is immediately. It's Jesus, her Rabboni, her teacher. And right away, Mary knows that everything she'd ever heard about in whispers from the other disciples, everything that she had heard Jesus predict, every kind of hope that she dared not even consider for fear it would never come to pass, had Happened. It had come to pass. Jesus was alive. He was risen from the dead. And now the future, her future, the disciples' future, the world's future, was wide open before her. And at that very moment, she was, I'm going to quote Richard Litcher one more time here, she was transformed from the last mourner of a dead Messiah into the very first witness of the living Lord. Don't you love that? And it all took place when Jesus called her by her very own name. And so it is on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning for you and you and you and for me. No, we weren't there when it happened. Yes, in many ways it seems as though we are left to ponder the meaning of an empty tomb and some grave clothes that were just folded and left just so. But like Mary before us, it also seems to me that there are moments in our life and living that we become very much aware that someone has called us by name. And it turns out to be the risen Christ. Times in our lives when we have looked around the world and 
the people who surround us and discover to our great surprise that God is vividly and clearly a part of everything that we hold dear in that life. Or, for the, on the other hand, perhaps the times in our lives when we have been dealt so many crushing blows in this life, be it the death of a loved one, the ravages of a life-threatening illness, the loss of a job or the falling apart of a relationship, times when we have felt so devoid of hope that all we can really manage to do is to weep uncontrollably. Or maybe it was one of those all-too-rare moments when everything in your life, you look around and if only for an instant, everything makes sense. And it was if someone in that instant was calling you by name just to make sure you noticed. Well, if that's you this morning, my dear friends, let me just say to you, ta-da! <laughs> the good news on this Easter Sunday, the good news always is that Christ is risen, the resurrection has come, and it is for you. In the risen Christ, death is vanquished forever. And our lives, yours and mine, are made brand new. The tomb is empty, beloved. And by the resurrection power of God, everything has changed forever. And the best part is this is a gift. It's a gift of grace, a gift of infinite and redeeming love. And it is given by the one who by death has conquered death and who by raising to life, has opened the gates of life everlasting. The one who loves us so much that even now he is calling each one of us by name so we will know without any doubt at all that it's all true. My prayer for you on this Easter Sunday is that each one of you will let that experience happen in you so that each one of us might be filled with that unbridled joy that I was speaking of earlier, the thing that this day requires, the things that our lives should impart, so that like Mary before us, we are just simply going to have to run and tell everyone we see, everyone we know, all the people we don't even know, that we have seen the Lord. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. And Amen. And that's the message entitled, What's So Special About the Empty Tomb? which was recorded during our April the 9th Easter Sunday service of worship at East Church, where you are always invited to join us in person for worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. In this Eastertide season and always, I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be so glad that you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, happy Easter. 
And may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.